Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Jeremy Gretchen, welcome. Hello. Hi there. So we've got some cool content coming up. We're going to be talking about technology that was developed for space that we use in our everyday applications. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of an interesting list. I'm not going to get into the details of it yet because we'll have that in a few minutes. I don't want to spoil it for everybody. But there are some things on there that you would have never guessed. Nope. You know? And it just goes to show where necessity really is the mother of invention, I think, on these things. And, and yeah. I'm glad that we have them. But it was you know a little bit of a surprise. The other thing we're going to be talking about today, and we've got a guest coming on that is the expert on these things, is security online and the use of VPNs. Now, anybody that doesn't know what that acronym means, it's a virtual private network. It's something businesses have had for a long time. But in recent years, there have been companies that have been introducing this technology to be able to use on your own devices, your laptop, even your phone, that kind of a thing. And one of those companies is NordVPN. Mm -hmm. They provide all around the world have a good reputation, and their chief technology officer is going to be joining us a little later on today to talk about their product, but more importantly, what a VPN actually does, why you might want to consider it, and why it would be important sometimes in certain circumstances more than others. But I learned a lot from this, and I'm a tech person. That's so cool. It was, it was really kind of, you know, kind of amazing to, to hear all of that. All right, so that's our show this week that we have coming up for you. And let's get started with the news. What do we have this week? Well, this first article, I think, might make Steve Austin upset. Um, bionic eyes obsolete. You know, bionics in general is an interesting thing. We're starting to see this on a civilian level a lot more than we ever did before. And bionics, cybernetics, all these kind of things from sci-fi are now becoming a part of our everyday world. And as time goes by, we'll be a lot more around us. But the problem is, is the companies that make these devices don't all survive. Right. So this topic specifically goes into a product that was used and installed, I, I think, in a lot of cases as a prototype, like a beta type scenario. Uh, it was a company called Second Sight Medical Products. And these installed in your eye, if you were blind, you would usually get these kind of implants so that you could see certain things. Now, it certainly wasn't the Geordie LaForge of Star Trek no. uh, hmm. or anything like that, but you could see light and dark and some things like that, that uh, if you're blind, it certainly gives you a better quality of life. The only problem is, is the implants are now obsolete. <laughs> so the technology being abandoned... And people that have these implants in them, if they need service on them, they can't get it. And it's a problem. So as long as it continues to work, that's one thing. But what happens when it does it? You would have to have it removed, which would be, be stressful. Stressful and probably a painful process, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like for someone to install electronics inside your body like that. But the bottom line of it is, is it just wouldn't be something you'd want to have happen. And one of the stories on this is a lady that was using it in New York on the subway, and she was climbing the stairs, and it cut out and failed, and that was the end of it, and she couldn't see right there, and she couldn't get it fixed. So definitely something to 
consider with these things. The ability to improve quality of life is amazing, but there are going to be some new issues that we've never had to think about before. Verizon switches to mandatory three-year contracts. You know, we had like 30 inquiries on this too. <laughs> um, wow. This is, this is a story that came out this week, and I, I, I don't know where they're coming from. And from a tech perspective, I, I don't know how this would work. But Verizon has evidently switched to where if you buy a device from them and you want it on anything other than you pay for it all up front, you have to sign a three-year contract. Nothing else is available. Now, even my high-end Samsung Galaxy 21, whatever it is, phone probably wouldn't make it three years. And if it did by that point, it would be very obsolete. But yeah. there's, there's no early getting out of the contracts or anything without a huge substantial fee. Right now, there's no promotions and there's no other options. So some of the solutions that are being offered to this is go to another cell phone carrier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which seems like a good one. And the second part of it is if you do want to stay on Verizon, at least for the moment, you can go to third-party resellers. Best Buy is one of them. There's a lot of them out there that still offer other things with their equipment. Nearly a quarter of Americans get news from podcasts. Yeah. Oh, my. Hey, wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little scary here. Well, if you listen to this podcast, uh, your news is on tech, more or less, and there you are. But this is actually something. This is, and it's growing. Mm-hmm. It is uh, definitely something that is becoming more and more of a of a part of day to day life. Now, the majority say that they still never get their news from podcasts at fifty six percent, but as it goes up, it will hit the halfway mark probably sometime this year. So the question then becomes, is podcasts are not regulated? So regular media, at least you're supposed to be able to rely on the idea that we go out and check stories and are hopefully accurate with what we report. Mm. Something that's purely a podcast maybe does that and maybe doesn't. And these are all things to be aware of that the news you're getting is actually accurate. I have no problem with getting the news from a podcast. But I want to know that what I'm hearing is... Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. The DeLorean is officially back. And it's electric. Oh, excuse me. I was trying to figure out how to order one. Mm, Yes. (laughs) So the DeLorean's coming back. This is the car that was produced in 1982 and 1983. was in the movie Back to the Future. Uh, Is, in my opinion, one of the coolest cars ever made. It's got the angel wing doors. And I haven't been able to find one used with a flex capacitor yet, but I've been told that's out there. And mm. we are getting a 2022 DeLorean. And it's electric. And it's electric. Mm. But Ooh, it's, Maybe that'll be good. It's supposed to look like the original car. Needless to say, this is something that I would love to get someday, you know, when I hit the lottery, probably. Uh-huh. And it's one of the few cars on the market that is an antique or a collectible where you really don't want the original engine. <laughs> yeah, that I've heard. Um, but they are really cool cars, at least in my opinion. But yes, it is uh, coming back out, and we'll see. And we'll see if this is something that stays on the market or if it's just going to be a one-off. Engineering students' AI model turns American Sign Language into English in real time. Talk about something that will enable communication. Mm-hmm. Yep. This kind of tech is so cool. I think the ability for us all to talk to each other is very, very important Uh in just about everything else we do. And American Sign Language, which to me is amazing that this even exists and is is an incredibly wonderful thing to wherever and however this was created. 
but the AI is actually able to view the person that's signing and translate in real time what is being said with above a 90% accuracy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I always thought they should have taught sign language in school, and they didn't, at least when I, where I went. I think no. they should teach foreign language in school, too, but that's a whole other topic. They did foreign language, can, but um, a sign language is, well, you never know. I mean, there are people out there that might need it. I think as we have these instant translators, and a lot of them exist now for uh, spoken and written language, in fact, Zoom's adding that later this year. So if you're talking to someone that speaks another language, you still are able to communicate in real time. These things are so cool and just just so important, you know, to be able to have this stuff and be able to really allow the whole world to communicate with each other. MIT develops new programming language for high-performance computers. Yeah, speaking of languages, this is the other side of it, our digital side. And this is something that I have, I'm kind of surprised it took until now, to be perfectly honest. And as a programmer, it seems like the biggest thing that is a learning curve is the fact that our languages change so often. Yeah. And you go from one thing to another, and even a language, I, I, my primary computing language that I started with was one called PHP. And whether you know what that is or not is, is not important for this, but it is something that when I started with it and the way that I code in it now is very different. Hmm. Same language, but it is changed, you know, evolved. And then you have all these other languages that are created, but none of them speak to the idea of performance in the way that MIT is developing this. Cool. So this, I think, is really cool. All right. Well, we've got a great show coming up for you this week. We will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We talk about technology a lot around here. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I, I didn't either. But for anybody that might have, a lot of questions come in. We did a piece last week on abandoned tech, and it seems like in the last few months, there's been a focus just in general on technology and what's happened to it and where it all came from and that type of thing. One of the questions we get asked sometimes has to do with space technology. And, you know, a question that's been out there is, wouldn't it be better to invest a lot of that money on Earth instead of exploring and that type of thing? But to that end, I wanted to talk a little bit today about our technology on Earth here and how a lot of it has come from space exploration. Things that we use day to day. First one is camera phones. Yeah, I had no idea that camera phones were... Based on space stuff. Yeah. yeah. They, what happened is they developed the technology because they needed to minimize the size of these things. Mm -hmm. And another part of it, too, is to have something that's a lot more durable. So if you look at the lens that's in an older camera that's glass and big and all of that kind of thing versus what you have in your phone, they're very different. Now, some modern cameras still use the original style of lenses. It's definitely not a bad technology, but it was necessary to create something that's smaller. And a third of all cameras contain the technology that was developed in the 90s for this purpose. So that's one item there. I think that's kind of cool. Everybody uses those camera phones. Mm -hmm. um, Scratch-resistant lenses. 
So you're going into space. You need, again, something that's durable, kind of like the camera lenses. Yeah. So development was made into these kind of technologies that created the coating that goes on a lot of our glass things. Scratch resistant lenses being one of them. Another one being the smartphone screens. You know, yeah. you don't want to drop it. I can remember back when I had my iPad. And one time I knocked it off my desk onto a carpeted floor. I had one of those chair or plastic chair pads. And mm-hmm. that was enough to completely shatter the screen. Wow. And with my but- modern Samsung Android phone, I've, you know, done far worse. And it's like you're holding your breath and everything's fine. So again. And, and you think of it this way. Um, because of that, you're using, you're breaking less things. So less things are going into landfills. And it's, it's, it's also costing you less because you're not damaging things as easily. Mm-hmm. Here's something I had no idea came from the space program was a CAT scan. Yeah, again, you know, this is something that seems completely unrelated, but they needed technology to create imagery and beyond what you could do with just a camera. So the building blocks of this have been used in a number of other things, including CAT scanners, um, a lot of different things you'd have in the hospital, the sensors, all of that type of thing. A good portion of that technology came from this research that was done for an entirely different purpose. LEDs. Oh, my God. Now, this is something (laughs) that is really changed a lot. And it's like the better mousetrap. Well, in this case, we have the better light bulb. Yeah. LED technology is is interesting because there's a whole history to it on, on this. Starting in space, they wanted to use it for growing in space and that type of a thing. This is where the red LEDs came from, which was uh-huh. some of the very original ones. The last one to be researched and made is the uh, ability to have white light from an LED. And this is kind of when we passed over from this being a technology where it's the light in your radio to indicate that it's on or something. Or your computer. I I, I had thought LEDs were just used, f- you know, for computers and just that kind of tech stuff. And then all of a sudden, here you have these things being used in Christmas lights mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things, and they take less electricity. What a wonderful little change. Yeah, and it is. It's a big Big deal. I can remember back oh, 10 years ago now, uh, my parents had a home, about 3,000 square foot home, and we went through and changed out all of the light bulbs to LEDs, and it halved the power bill. Yeah. It was wow. that big of a difference. And so you're, yeah, you're, like you say, you're looking at something that uses a lot less energy, is much more durable because it's not as breakable as a glass bulb, puts mm-hmm. out a lot less heat or no heat, depending on what you have. And can be used in all kinds of other things, monitors and stuff like that. A lot of different devices make use of this technology beyond a modern light bulb. Okay, here's a good one for you, Bill. Landmine removal. Yeah, now that's something that you wouldn't even think of, right? I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. But uh, what they did is they came up with a way to uh, produce a flare that can burn through the mine without detonation. Right. And this... Uh, Obviously, wow. is a big deal because landmines have been a real problem. And in fact, this was one of the first ways that they came up to really clear them. Yeah. Really, they need to talk to the people in Southeast Asia. Right. We saw some program where this guy was part of a team where they were carefully, meticulously removing these things by hand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure NASA's surplus rocket fuel will make it over there. 
Oh, okay. That's, I mean, that's what they're using is surplus rocket fuel to create the flare. Ah, oh, like okay. wow. But you know, any way you look at it, though, it is this is something that's been a real problem, especially since World War II. Yeah. And there are mm-hmm. areas that have not been safe to be in since then, and this has allowed them to start going through and deal with this and clear it out. Oh, I like this one. Athletic shoes. Nike Air Trainers? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Wow. Shoes, clothing, a lot of these different type of things were developed specifically for NASA and exoplanetary operations and all of that kind of stuff, and now you're seeing it in day-to-day technology. Uh, it was a former NASA engineer that first pitched the idea to Nike for the air trainers. And, you know, again, this is one example of many clothing products, many things we use, that the development of these products came from this type of technology that was developed for use in something completely different in space. Yeah, see, I, I, and the, la- the next one is foil blankets. I, I knew about foil blankets and stuff because I remember getting a space blanket and I thought that was just the coolest thing, but it made a lot of noise. <laughs> but I mean, it did, it was very warm. It really yeah, was. And I think my brother had like a, a, a survival kit, you know, like if you went out hiking mm-hmm. and it came with one of those foil blankets. Yeah. It just <laughs> well, I, you know, these are kept in some first aid kits and I know I keep one in the car just for an emergency and it's a very compact thing and they work, like you say, very well. Uh, but again, you're looking for something that you can use in space to protect spacecraft people. The technology behind this is also used in the spacesuits and some things like that. Water purification systems. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yep, but that is, actually makes sense. Yeah, you have to recycle <laughs> everything, and I do mean everything. Mm-hmm. So you want a system that does it in a way that it's, number one, safe, and number two, not disgusting. Um, <laughs> there yeah. are some yeah, well. sides of being an astronaut that are not terribly glamorous and dealing with your drinking water and other things is one of them. Mm-hmm. But this type of technology was invented for that purpose to have in a very limited environment where you can't carry a lot drinking water. And in modern applications, this water purification is used everywhere. You know, they talk about uh, bacteria and recreational pools, but you see it in other places too. So these are just some examples. And, you know, the list goes on and on. But yeah, research that's been done for space and exploring space has benefited us on Earth many, many times. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Glad to have you here for our show today. We've had a lot of listener questions come in about security and virtual private networks. And joining me today is someone that can talk to us about it. Good morning. Good morning. So the first thing I'm going to say is, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yes, of course. Uh, Thank you for having me first. Uh, I'm Marius Bredis. I'm from NordVPN and I am CTO of it. So I do a lot of technical stuff in here and enjoy it every day. Well, welcome. And we're going to just start and dive right in here with the big question. What is a VPN? Well, VPN stands for a virtual private network. It's a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. It actually creates an encrypted tunnel for your data, protects your online identity by hiding your IP address, and allows you to use, for example, public Wi-Fi hotspots safely. Okay. 
And some of our listeners have heard of this technology from their office or from their work. Is it something that's important for home users? And if so, why? I think it is. I think no one likes to be watched or tracked, even if they have nothing to hide. That's why it's important to step up your privacy game. And believe me, government agencies, marketers, internet service providers, they would all love to track and to collect your browsing history, messages, and other private data. So what is the best way to hide it? I think just use VPN to encrypt your traffic, hide your IP, and cover your tracks online. Another use case for home users is when you want to access your home content while you are traveling around the world, for example. Because in some countries, as we know, the content can be blocked. So if you want to never miss a friend's post on social media, you can use a VPN too. And the third case would be even if you are an avid gamer and have to deal, for example, with DDoS attacks or bandwidth throttling, setting up the connection to our fast servers can help you here too. Are VPNs difficult to set up? Not at all. Uh, to be honest, just use VPN apps. And we offer apps for all major platforms. It doesn't matter if you use a Mac, an Android tablet, or Windows laptop. Just download it, set up the account, and you're ready to go. Of course, if you are a little bit more tech savvy, you can configure it yourself with a manual setup. And you can even install NordVPN on your Wi-Fi router, for example, and every device that is connected to it will be protected. Now, I assume that there's instructions on how to put all this together and it's just a matter of installing the software, but that doesn't sound like something that's too difficult to do. So now I would think you'd want to do this before you were heading out on the road or that type of a thing, get everything yeah. in place and up and running and working, right? Yeah, that's true. Of course, you can find instructions online. Uh, there are a lot of examples how to do it. So it's easy. Now, will setting up a VPN slow down your browsing? Does it have an effect on your amount of available bandwidth or anything like that? Not at all. To be honest, we always invest in our infrastructure and uh, we have more than 5,000 ultra fast servers now, even in 60 countries all around the world. And we use even some special techniques on our VPN servers. In, and in some cases, we can make your browsing experience even better and faster. All right. That sounds like I'm going to throw one other thing out at you. We've been talking a lot on the air lately about tracking and you know, Facebook is upset because Apple's changed their situation, so it's not as easy to track, but everybody else still has it. Does this type of a technology benefit in your, you said you can't be tracked, but is this an area where the advertising and stuff also can't figure out what you're doing? Yes, to be honest, you have to use a lot of techniques, not only the VPN connection, a VPN is just a part of it, but it hides your IP address and uh, there, for example, the website doesn't know where you are coming from. So use a separate browser, VPN connection, even split tunneling, and it will going to help you with uh, staying online hidden. Yeah. Okay. The question that's already coming at us, just for anybody that doesn't know, probably should address this. What is an IP address? IP address is a special number that every router or your computer has because the internet is a network of networks, to, to be honest, and it's a big one. And to communicate, it uses special TCP IP protocols and IP addresses is how machines communicate with each other. Okay. And how does one find you guys online? How, how do you, where do you go to download the software to set up a NordVPN? Oh, just really easy. Just go to nordvpn.com and you will find more information and every information that you need there. 
All right. Sounds good. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. This is all really good information. Thank you for having me. All right. Have a good day. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. First question that's commonly asked is how do we submit our questions? There we go. How many times can you use questions in a sentence? Well, I don't know <laughs> I question your, 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 your sentence work. Believe me, I've been questioned a lot. And, it's, uh, <laughs> and I can't even answer that. But what I can tell you is you can give us a call at 503-766-6264. Check us out on social media, Facebook and Twitter at One User Friendly, or go to our website, userfriendlynation.com. Any of those places, you can submit your question, and we will endeavor to answer them. What questions do we have this week? Is it true EV charging stations don't work? Yes, I spoke to the listener that sent this in. Okay. And they have an electric car, not a Tesla. It's one of the other makes. Uh Uh And they are quite frustrated because they were legitimately having a problem that they didn't know if they were going to be able to charge their car. So I started doing a little checking into this and talked to a couple of the different companies that put together these electric charging stations, and I'm finding out this is a very common problem. Is is the plug not universal? No, that's not the issue. The plug is not universal. You have to have an adapter in some cases. Okay. And in a lot of cases, you have to have an account with each company that has the charging station to be able to use it. So you have some inconsistencies there. But the problem that she's referring to isn't so much that. That you can all work around. If you pull up to the station and you don't have the uh, app installed on your phone, you can usually get it and register. If there's a plug that's different, there's usually a converter available. If not, you would probably carry that, I would imagine, with you anyway. But it's where the car says, well, you have five miles left to go. The next charging station's in three. Here's a map to it. And you get there, and the machinery physically is broken down. Oh. So there's mm. some kind of an error on the screen. And this is common in the United States and very common, apparently, in the United Kingdom. Weird. To a point that it could leave you stranded because if your car's out of juice and you can't fill it back up, uh, you know, it'd be like if the gas stations didn't work. So is it lack of maintenance or is it vandalism against the chargers? It seems to be a little of both, but the primary problem does seem to be lack of maintenance on these things. Hmm. And they're just putting in these stations, setting them up. Some companies are better than others. Now, like the Tesla stations seem to all work consistently. There have been some reported problems, but not to the extent. And I also couldn't find anything with Tesla where the entire station was out. It was you needed to move to the next stall, something like that. And that's all stuff we can deal with but not when it's the only one you can't get to another one and now you can't charge your car. So this is an issue and it's also something that the car's computer is not necessarily going to know about when it's directing you to a place to charge. So the idea here is to give yourself a little bit more cushion. Now, if your range is only like 100 miles, which is an average, you would probably want to start looking to charge when you've got about 20 left. And the other thing to consider on this too is most electric car manufacturers, if not all, recommend that you never fully charge your battery. So the range on a fully charged battery is not what you get because you don't have a fully charged battery to begin with. So these are all things to take into consideration. Okay. That sounds like I'd want a hybrid. (laughs) Okay. 
Is Google Plus finally shutting down for real? Another listener question that came in. So quick history on this is back a long time ago, at least in technology years, about five years ago now, I think, maybe a little longer, there was a thing called Google Plus. And for anybody that's not familiar with that, it is a function that was trying to compete with Facebook at the time. Actually, it was pretty nice. Uh, it was, it was really less... nice. I liked it better yeah. than Facebook. I mean, I, yeah. I have to say for for me, for what uh, what we did with it, um, it was it was smoother, and they had a nice product as Google generally does. But it just didn't catch on uh, at the time. There were the Zynga games, Farmville, all that kind of stuff, which didn't work on it, and it just everybody was on Facebook, so it seemed like it just never took off. So Google Plus was shut down later. Uh, until finally it was transitioned in 2019 to a product called Currents. Now, this is a part of this that a lot of people don't know. Currents is Google+, Plus, at least a modern incarnation of it. Hmm. And what Currents huh. is is a function for paid Google workspace that allowed for social networking hmm. and that type of a thing. And now they've announced that Currents is going to be shut down, I believe, next year, 2023. <laughs> okay. And uh, so there you are. So that's the... Uh, question. So the answer to the question is, I think so. <laughs> okay. But I'm not 100% sure because I haven't been able to find anything that's definitive on this. And I found something somewhere that they may be transitioning currents into another product. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Why is gas priced at nine tenths of a penny? I've wondered that for years. To confuse everybody? <laughs> well, that makes yeah. sense. You know, uh, this is actually a good question. And, um, there's actually a reason for this. Um, it goes back to when gas was originally sold, okay? Mm-hmm. So if we look at the history of this, we have to go back to kind of where 1800s? all of this started. I'm sorry, what? In the late 1800s? Uh, this would have been a little bit after this. This was Depression era. Oh, And okay. what it was is they wanted to bring in a federal gas tax. Now, again, we have to think about the environment at the time because nine-tenths of a penny to us uh, in our current world with where the money is now, it doesn't really mean a lot. Uh, if you took that off, it would be a difference of about 13 cents a fill-up, give or take, you know, depending on, on your car. But in that period, putting gas up a penny would have bankrupted people, especially during the Great Depression. So this was brought in in 1932. And so they did it as nine-tenths of a cent. Because on average, there's a psychology, and this is also why you it's you know nine ninety nine instead of ten bucks. You tend to round down. That's just human nature. So, no, I don't. Well, you don't. I'm not but human. You, but you're not human. No, I. Well, no, it's a whole other topic. But, uh, <laughs> but that's that's where that comes from. So, okay. and like with most things, the gas tax that they put in was supposed to expire in 1934, uh, but it didn't. <laughs> and, um, here we are today with a gas tax. This is actually kind of interesting because you go full circle. They're talking about suspending the federal gas tax because of the prices right now, which is around 18 cents a gallon in, in today's dollars. But um, but yeah, so that's where that originated and that's where that came from. And it's been something that's just been there. And, uh, you know, so the industry, by the way, netted an extra 1.4 million because of this nine tenths of a cent. Okay. So, so there definitely is money that's made on it. It's not like it's just nothing. But mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that is the origin of that. And that's where it came from. And, 
you know, it's valid. We look at the change in technology and pop culture with our events coming back up and stuff and gas being so expensive. It is actually a very legitimate question to wonder why that's like that. And we'll be back after the break. Yes, we will. This is User Friendly 2.0. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. As always, great show this week. Absolutely. You know, it was fun hearing from NordVPN, and especially somebody for their company that knows the in and outs of internet security and why that type of a technology is really important. I actually did not know, and I've worked with VPNs a lot, but I didn't know that it actually could be used in certain circumstances that if you were traveling to a foreign country that blocks the internet to be able to get you to your normal stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's, that's uh, I had no idea. You know, so that's a, that's an interesting application of that. So earlier we were talking about technology that was developed by NASA for exploring space and got through some of the list with some of the items, but that list goes on and on and on. You know, some of the other things on that list that we didn't get to talk about during the segment, Dustbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the idea of that, uh they wanted to Ear- collect samples and got it. Gretchen, go ahead. Ear thermometers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a small, lightweight thermometer. Well, home insulation. I mean, yeah. NASA and extreme temperatures go hand in hand, but I mean, that's amazing. And that's something, fiberglass is something that's in pretty much every home that's built now. Yeah. Um, it's one way or the other. It's it's part of it in a lot of other things. Cars, too. I figured that out when I replaced the headliner in my truck. It's lined with, with insulation. Jaws of Life is another one. Yeah, I had no idea. But I mean, if you're going to get people out of a space space shuttle or something, it makes sense. What about wireless headsets? Yeah. yeah. You know how many people wear wireless headsets, enjoy them every day? Yeah. Memory foam. Yeah. Memory foam. Pilot seats. I mean, come on. Yeah. But of course, uh, now the, the one on the list that I knew about was fra- freeze dried food. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that I, I mean, remember at the planetarium, you know? <laughs> yeah. Space, space food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adjustable smoke detector. Yep. Now, they didn't invent the first smoke detectors, but they did invent. What we use now which is called an adjustable smoke detector. Um, this is the type of instrument that most of us have in our homes. I use an advanced version of it that uh, does a number of different things, smoke, heat, carbon monoxide, you know, that type of a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, di- again, as a device that you see absolutely everywhere. Baby formula is another one that I would never yeah, have I had, thought of. Yeah, I had no idea had NASA no sponsored idea. research into baby formula so they could yeah. grow stuff. That's that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, yeah. Artificial limbs. Yeah. yeah, something that we're seeing now in a lot of uh, bionic research and that type of a thing. It's becoming much more commonplace. And shock absorbent materials and other things that are built into this. So you have the technology, and then you have the parts to make the technology that can also be applied elsewhere. So there's two different, you know, mm-hmm. kind of layers of this. This goes on and on, but the last device that, of course, we've all seen is the computer mouse. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a computer mouse, but NASA did that in the 60s. Yep, yep. And the other one is the portable computer. Yep. I mean, you know, this is all stuff. A that, laptop. That we use, a laptop <laughs> Tablet. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is User-Friendly 2.0, and until next week, we are keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com.
podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.